1: Season three of the Galactic Football League series, written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Starter is also available as an ebook and as an ad-free unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com/slash/thestarter. Book two. The regular season, 26-83. Week 1, Ionath Krakens at Isis Ice Storm. Welcome back to the Galaxy's Greatest Damn Sports Show with Dan M. and Terrence the Smasher. Welcome back from the commercial break, and remember to patronize our sponsor, Kolak the Daring Spindly Spider Snacks, with that deep-fried taste of tarantula, now in nacho flavor. Territ, what do you think of those nacho-flavored tarantula treats?
2: I have to say, I don't like many things the Earth has produced. No offense, Akbar. None taken. But these big spider treats you breed there, I can't get enough of Daring spindly Spider Snacks. I'm having one right now.
1: Oh, God, I can't even look at that. Tarrant, don't bite it in the middle. Oh, spider juice is getting all over the counter. It makes me want to vomit. Akbar, come on. That's a sponsor. Try one. I'll quit the show before that happens. Can we get to the news? We can. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, kickoff is here. Akbar, Smasher, in just a few hours, the Tier 1 season begins as the Coronada Delana Cloud Killers, prior to the Harat Tribal Accord, play host to last year's Galaxy Bowl runner-up, the Toe Pirates. Oh, Coronada Delana is gonna get destroyed.
2: That outcome is highly probable, Akbar, but it is not a foregone conclusion. Last year the Cloud Killers lost four games by three points or less, which is why they signed kicker Sheikki Will away from the Orbiting Death in Tier
1: 2. A bit of pill for the Death to swallow, Tarrant, considering the Cloud Killers and the Death have such an intense rivalry.
2: They haven't been able to play each other in the past few seasons, with the Cloud Killers in Tier 1 and the Orbiting Death in Tier 2. But you are correct, Dan. Those two planets are just a single, short punch away from each other and share a great deal of commerce. One of the truly great rivalries of the GFL.
1: Well... Unless the Orbiting Death earned promotion this season, which they will... I also think so. ...then that rivalry doesn't really matter. What does matter is that all 22 Tier 1 teams are playing this week. No bye weeks until Week 3. You got that right, Akbar. This week and next, all 22 teams have to step up and battle. Including our two newly promoted teams the Ionath Krakens, and the Chilich Spider Bears. It's going to be a hard season for both squads. Really, it's too bad they don't play each other. At least one of them would get a win this season.
2: Dan, I think those teams will each win at least one game.
1: I'm kidding, Smasher. But seriously, it's silly they don't play. The two planets are only a single punch apart. Practically neighbors. I have
2: often thought the Quith Concordia should annex Chilich which is practically in our sovereign space.
1: Hey, Smasher, hey now, we don't need to start talking about a new war between the Concordia and the Sklorno dynasty, do we? It
2: would be more like a minor skirmish that we would win.
1: Smasher, ever the pacifist. At any rate, Chilich is in the solar division, the Krakens are in the planet, and the two teams don't play each other this year. The Spider Bears open with a road game at the board brigands, while the Krakens travel to the Tower Republic to face the Isis Ice Storm.
2: I feel bad for the Krakens. Not only did rookie running back Dan Campbell get busted for mods, but now INF has to play its first Tier 1 game at the fish tank. That is an extremely difficult place to play.
1: It is, Smasher, and the Ice Storm have something to prove this year. They just missed the playoffs last season. They've got some new talent, and they are talking big smack about making a run for the title. As long as they have Ryan Nosek rushing the quarterback, the Ice Storm is in every game. Nosek
2: is the best defensive end in the game. I think Quentin Barnes is in for a long afternoon.
1: More likely Don Pine is in for a long afternoon. What do you mean, Don Pine? He
2: means he thinks Don Pine will start instead of Quentin Barnes.
1: I know what he means, Tarrant. I'm saying it's a ridiculous statement. Dan, you're not going to start a quarterback controversy before the season even begins, are you? What, me? Start something? Where am I? What am I doing here?
2: Dan... Quentin Barnes has officially been named the starting quarterback.
1: Oh, don't encourage him. For now, Barnes is the starting quarterback. But with two-time league MVP Don Pine on the bench, how much rope does Barnes get before he hangs himself? Couldn't you at least wait until the first snap to say the Krakens need to pull Barnes? No, I never wait. And that's why we have the Galaxy's top-rated show. We get the story before the story even happens. In fact, I want to hear what the peons out there think about this brewing quarterback controversy.
2: But I'm confused. There isn't a controversy.
1: Too late, Smasher. Line three from Chichana. You're on the space. Go. Quentin Barnes is a god. A Scalorno fan of Barnes. Who'd have thunk it? This is always so uncomfortable. Do not blaspheme Quentin Barnes, or he will cause the suns to supernova and destroy you all. I
2: don't think he can do that.
1: Collar, tell me more about this cult of Barnes. Because I know our non-Scalorno fans just love to laugh about I mean, they love to hear about it. Continue. Quentin Barnes is the holiest of all... Excerpt from the book Tower Republic, Birth of a Nation, by Shellfish-Related Gatherer Like so many nations in the history of all races, the birth of the Tower Republic came from a combination of war and isolation. In 2469, a League of Planets expeditionary flotilla, sweeping near the galactic core, discovered a G-class star. As was the custom in those times, each star surveyed was named for an expedition crew member. Because this expedition had already surveyed and cataloged over 500 systems, stars had been named after all of the command crew, surface explorers, the engineers, and even the maintenance crew. So it was that this particular G-class star was named after Ernest Tower, the flagship's third-shift short-order cook. The Tower system, as it is now known, proved to have one habitable planet. Originally called Tower 1, as it was the first planet in the system, The world is now known simply as Tower. The surface of Tower is 95% liquid. While all the surface liquid is covered by ice, the planet's internal geothermal temperature creates a thick temperate zone that flourishes with life. The planet's oceans and the ground beneath them are home to ample natural resources. Like many frontier planets, Tower quickly became a haven for free-minded humans seeking a new start tower exported animal protein, clothing, and mineral wealth. The population grew steadily via immigration, reaching five million beings by the time it became a voting member of the League of Planets in 2527. The year 2527 occurred in an era known as the Age of Colonization, when almost every government in the galaxy had embarked on a major campaign of discovery and acquisition. As the most far-flung planet in the League, Tower became the home of the 6th Expeditionary Fleet. The League planned on using the 6th Fleet to explore that sector of the galaxy, but its very first mission proved to be both historic and disastrous. In 2531, the 6th Fleet set out on a peaceful mission to contact the Portath, a sentient race that lived inside a dense nebula. While no one had made contact with the Portath, it was known that they had discovered audio-broadcast technology and achieve faster-than-light capability. To date, no video signals have ever been received from the race. The Sixth Fleet sailed into the nebula now known as the Portath Cloud and was never heard from again. A search-and-rescue attempt was in the planning stages when the galaxy heard the first direct message from the Portath. Transmitted in passable English, the message simply said, To enter the cloud is to die. The League of Planets reacted immediately, secretly sending a task force of 17 warships to Tower. League officials weren't going into the Portath Cloud until they knew more, but they also weren't about to leave their newest planet undefended. The year 2538 saw the beginnings of Tower's independence. It was then that the expansion-minded Purist Nation launched an offensive on the far-flung planet. The League of Planets immediately declared war unwittingly falling for the political trap the Pyrrhus had set. To close the First Galactic War, the Purist Nation had signed a peace treaty with the Planetary Union. That treaty clearly stated that the Union would not allow forces hostile to the Pyrrhus Nation to pass through Union space. Since the primary shipping lanes between Tower and the League of Planets went through Union space, the Union government found itself in a very uncomfortable position. Because the League had declared war, The Union, by the dictates of their treaty, could not allow League ships to pass through Union space. The Purist Nation had planned for this. They knew they could get the majority of their forces to tower before the League could send their navy around the broad swath that is Union territory. In effect, this political strategy completely isolated the Young Planet Tower from any help. A fleet of over 100 Purist Nation ships closed in and demanded the complete surrender of Tower. Purist forces, however, did not know about the 17 League warships that had been sent to protect against potential aggression from the Portath Cloud seven years before. This fleet of 17 ships, led by Captain Aurelius Marcos, launched what is perhaps the biggest gamble in the history of galactic warfare. Instead of staying back a tower and defending the planet against overwhelming enemy numbers, Marcos bypassed the Purist Nation fleet and launched a surprise attack against Stuart, the nation's home planet. The Armada sent to conquer Tower was forced to turn around and defend Stuart. The technically superior League warships inflicted heavy damage, recording a 7-to-1 kill ratio, but the Purist Navy's numbers were too much to overcome. Now with only 14 ships, Most of those damaged, Marcos fled Stuart, Eighty Purist Nation ships pursued Marcos, hoping to crush his small fleet and then move on to an undefended tower. To avoid that outcome, Marcos again initiated a surprise strategy. With the entire Purist Flotilla in pursuit, he took his forces straight into the Portath Cloud. Marcos kept a tight formation, intentionally slowing his ships to allow Purist Nation forces to close in. Once the purest ships followed him deep into the cloud, Marcos scattered his fleet and ordered every ship to fend for itself. This was the last known communication from this hero of the Tower Republic. Seven tower ships escaped the cloud, seven including Marcos's vessel, were never heard from again. All eighty ships of the purest Nation flotilla vanished with all hands on board. They sent no messages if they ejected contact buoys. Those buoys were never found. It is assumed that they were destroyed. The Purist Nation Admiralty could not contact their ships. They did receive one key communique, however, a direct message from the mysterious government of the Portath Cloud. The message said, Attack again, and we will destroy you. Details of what happened from this point forward are sketchy at best. A persistent rumor is that several Purist Nation spies were discovered on Tower and that Tower's intelligence agency successfully sent false information that the planet had achieved a secret alliance with the Portath. It is important to note that the Church leaders of the Purist Nation could not say for certain what had happened to their flotilla. They knew that 80 ships had entered the Portath Cloud but did not know if those ships had been lost to Marcos, to the unknown Portath, or to a cosmic accident. What they did know is that they had instantly lost 30% of their overall naval strength. Considering Tower's possible alliance with the Portath, and considering that League forces were closing in to reinforce Tower, Pyrrhus Nation leaders sued for peace. Tower had fought its first war and won. Their government, the League of Planets, had done little to assist. By the time those League reinforcements reached Tower, they were greeted not by a League planet, but by the new, independent government of the Tower Republic. Tower's birth as a nation had long-reaching political ramifications. League officials blamed the secession of Tower on the Planetary Union blockade. The Union blamed the purest nation for unmitigated aggression and manipulation and quietly abandoned the Treaty of 2535. Both of these developments would directly contribute to the Third Galactic War. The reality wave tickled Quentin's soul as the touchback slipped out of punch space. He inhaled sharply and deeply, the natural reaction to holding one's breath for too long. It took two more deep breaths before he could open his eyes. He didn't throw up. He breathed slowly, wondering if he was finally getting used to space travel. Maybe soon he could actually sit in the viewing lounge with his teammates and share the experience of seeing a new world with them. One could only hope. With the punch out over, he ran out of his quarters and headed for the touchback's viewing lounge. Two dozen Krakens were already there, staring out the large windows. Quentin didn't even break stride as he entered, running to an open space at the window. He slid to a stop, hands locking on the rail that ran along the clear crystal. Easy, kid, Don Pine said. A big boy like you could go right through this window. Don was on Quentin's right. Quentin smiled at him, gave him a nod. I'll be careful, Gramps. Not enough speed, said a metallic voice on his left. Quentin turned and found himself facing Doc Bata.
3: He wouldn't go through the window, Don, because he's slow,
1: Doc Bata said, his voice coming from the speaker film mounted on his backpack. And
3: why is he slow? Because he's limping.
1: I'm not limping. Q, don't bother, Pine said. Doc bata has been talking about you for the last fifteen minutes. Talking about me, Quentin said, feeling a little self-conscious. Why? What about me? That your
3: limp means something is wrong with your leg,
1: Doc said. I'm not limping. Limping, Don said. Limpa lula Quentin felt his face flush red. He thought he'd been hiding the limp, but obviously not. Well, whatever. Everybody plays with pain, right, Don? Don nodded. Sure, after they get things checked out with the Doc. Yes, after. Doc said.
3: "'I will expect you in the Tower Stadium training room after we land.'
1: "'This was not how Quentin envisioned starting things off with a new doctor. "'Well, if you knew I was limping, why didn't you come see me?' "'Doc Pata spun in place, an effortless move for a floating creature. "'His sensory pits were only a couple feet from Quentin's face. "'I do not come to see you,' he said. "'I
3: am a doctor, the finest surgeon you are ever likely to meet.' You are a professional athlete. If you choose to be tough and not protect the team's investment in you, that is your concern. Greedock hired me to be your doctor, not your babysitter. I am not some star-struck human girl that will chase you all over the galaxy.
1: Babysitter? What did that mean? But, okay, Doc, but I— One hour after we land, Doc Batas said, then flapped his wide wings and shot through the viewing lounge. He left the room with barely a hiss of air, leaving Quentin to stare after him. What a jerk, Quentin said, turning back to lean on the handrail and look out the window. Don't you think so, Don? Isn't he a jerk? Don shrugged. Too early to tell. Well, What's he so mad about? I don't think he's happy to be here. He is, after all, one of the finest surgeons you're ever likely to meet. He is? Don leaned away from the rail and pointed down the windows to Virac the Mean. Back on Ionath, did you notice Virac had a cast? Quentin nodded. Well, apparently one of Greedock's little off-field activities resulted in Virac getting into a fight, blowing out his leg. It should have put him out for four, maybe five weeks. Doc Pata operated on him, and boom, we have Vyrak back for the preseason. Yeah, I do think Doc Pata is the best. Huh. Well, how did Greedock hire him then? I mean... If Pata doesn't want to be here, and he's so special and all, why be here? Don laughed, shook his head, and again leaned on the handrail. Oh, kid, you are a piece of work. Pata's here because Greedock wanted him. What Greedock wants, Greedock gets. How about we just enjoy the view, okay? Quentin nodded, remembering why he'd come to the viewing lounge in the first place. As he looked out the window, that fluttery sensation blossomed in his chest, his stomach even his toes. Thoughts of Doc Pata and Greedog vanished, because he was looking out at Tower, at a whole other planet. Even the rich kids back on McCovey, would they ever get to see this planet? Winning on the football field was the biggest reward for his hard work, his dedication, but the perk of seeing the galaxy ran a close second. Tower seemed to glow slightly from the inside, a scratched, yellow glass globe hung against the backdrop of dead black space. It was a small planet, probably two-thirds the size of Ionath and farther away from its star. Quentin knew that the smooth, yellowish surface was mostly ice, lined with cracks that were hundreds or thousands of miles long. A crescent of shadow marked Towers' nighttime side. In that darkness gleamed a spot of concentrated lights. A mountain city rising up out of the ice and sparkling like a multifaceted jewel but it didn't look very big. Barely looked larger than Ionath City. Don, is that Isis? Yep, home of the ice storm. I thought Isis had like a hundred million residents. You're only seeing a part of the city. Just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. The city follows the mountain slope right down through the ice and into the water. Most of Isis is submerged. Man, I hate going underwater. It's dangerous. Q, you are in space right now. Well, I hate that, too. Yeah, I've noticed. Don't worry about it. I've played here a dozen times. Tower loves its football, Q. You're going to have a good time. Tower football had come on strong in the past decade. The Republic's Tier 2 conference was very competitive and had produced three T1 teams, the Bartel Waterbugs, the Isis Ice Storm, and the Wabash Wolfpack. The League of Planets, Planetary Union, Quith Concordia, Key Empire and Scalorno Dynasty, each had three teams in the bigs. That three-team credibility spoke volumes about the quality of Republic football when you considered it had only about three billion citizens. The wealthy Key Empire had five times that. The League and Union had ten times as many citizens, while the Quith and the Scalorno had more than fifty times as many citizens. The Tower Republic wasn't just a modern-day competitor at football's highest levels. It was also deeply rooted in the sport's history. The Tower Terrans and Wabash Wall had been among the 12 teams that founded the GFL. The Republic could boast of three GFL titles, the Wabash Wall in 69, the Terrans in 70, and the Bartel Waterbugs in 80. Don turned away from the window, leaning his right elbow on the handrail. The reflected light from Isis came through the window giving half of his blue face an oddly greenish tinge. "'You think you're ready, kid? Ready for the bright lights of Tier 1?' Quentin stared out the window, stared at a planet he would have never seen were it not for football. More sentience would see him play on Sunday than lived on his entire home colony. No matter what the season would bring, it would all begin right here. "'I'm ready,' he said quietly. "'Hi, one, help me, Don.' but I'm here to win. I'll die before I waste the chance that I've got. Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. If you die, I go back into the lineup, and I have no desire to ever meet Ryan Nosek again anywhere but at a dinner table with a pair of steaks separating us. Don't put an old man into the meat grinder queue. Show some of that mercy your people claim to have all the time. Don was making a joke, trying to lighten the mood with a sarcastic dig on the purest Nation. Quentin heard the joke, maybe even appreciated the humor, but the message didn't make it from his brain to his lips. There was no smile. He stared out the window, trying to soak up every iota of this moment. The time for jokes and laughter was over. The time for war was here. You have been listening to The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to ScottSigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. SuperweaponBand.com.